Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What up, fam? It's your boy, ZDogMD. Uh, I am here live and direct at a Z office, and I am answering your questions and comments today. Uh, we spent the day, I rounded in the hospital in the morning with the team, and then Tom and Logan and I did some video editing for a piece that's probably going to come out tomorrow that debunks this whole doctor blows the whistle on chemotherapy nonsense that's been circulating on Facebook for the last couple of years to the tune of 83 million views, which it's abject horse crap. Okay, just so you know. Hi, Michelle Arroyo. Uh, so tee up your questions. What do you want to talk about? We've done a lot of videos in the last few weeks that are controversial, that are poking people right in the eye. So now's your chance. I'm wearing a sweat, a dad sweater with a dad shirt because I had to round today at the hospital. So now's your chance to ask dad, daddy doc, what he thinks. Uh, let me pull up your shiznit. Here we go. Hey, Carrie Hinchliffe, how are you? Um, hi from Tennessee, Natasha Burdeen. These are substantial comments, you guys. Uh, hey, Z, it's hot as balls in Oz. Aaron O'Shaughnessy. Dude, I keep forgetting Australia's on this whole inverted thing where it's hot there when it's cold here and vice versa. By the way, you know what I hate is people who say vice versa. That's not a thing. You're just making that up. Um, yeah, I wanted to poke you in the eye, Kate Baker. I hear you, Kate. I'm not sure what it's about, but I like it. I'm a postpartum nurse, says uh, Katharina Holzer. And I keep hearing all this talk about MMR, MMR shots are deadlier than measles. What's a good response to these people? The, look, if we were being completely honest, a good response is to uh, let Darwinian selection eliminate them from the gene pool. Unfortunately, they bring us down with them by affecting herd immunity. So MMR is safe and effective, always has been. This non-controversy about autism is an invented thing based on false data. The thing is, how do you convince someone who's indoctrinated into this idea that since it isn't natural, it's much more natural to get measles? Well, you know, you can show them pictures of dead babies who died of measles. You can tell them about deafness and other complications of these supposedly benign childhood illnesses. You can talk about how incredibly contagious measles is and how you need uh, a high percentage of the population to be vaccinated in order to have the highest efficacy because when the community is immune, you get this community immunity, this collective resistance to the circulating virus. So all those things never really work. You have to move people with stories. The main thing with people like that is listen to why they're deeply concerned about vaccines because something's affecting their unconscious elephant that's making it upset. A lot of people are just afraid of needles and had childhood trauma around needles, which we underestimate as an important cause of anti-vaccine sentiment. Then there's the idea that they don't want the government telling them what to do, or uh, they have this sort of affluenza thing where they just don't have anything else to worry about. So they go down an internet K-hole where they read from some pseudo celebrity or some fake doctor like uh, Suzanne Humphreys or 
Tenpenny, who, you know, they're not even, I don't think Tenpenny's even licensed anymore. She's a DO who, emergency doc, who's become a notorious anti-vaxxer, one of the few doctors who actually uh, buys into all that conspiracy nonsense. Um, and I put doctor in quotes. So, you know, the best thing is to listen, see where they're coming from, and then slowly start to influence them uh, with stories that actually move the elephant and respecting them rather than just attacking. See, I, that's not my goal. My goal is to rally the troops. So when I talk about vaccines, I just get in your face and I want people who are on the side of right to rally together and, and be strong. My Mostly my goal in that is not to convince people who are stolidly anti-vax because that is an impossible job on the internet because of confirmation bias and they'll cherry pick studies and they'll do the same tropes they always do. So my goal is to influence people on the fence and also rally the troops who are on the side of science to go out and fight. And one of the ways you do that is you have to be respectful of the position they're coming from. Now, the hardcore anti-vaxxers, they're almost beyond hope because they're so indoctrinated with this idea that it's gonna take a long time to unwind. It's gonna take their child dying of measles to get them to unwind it. And even then they would come up with 30 justifications for why somehow the healthcare industrial complex was to blame for that and vaccines and pharma, and it wasn't them. Right, so this happens. Uh, comments. I have personally taken care of children that were injured by an immunization, so it really does happen, but I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm a careful and thoughtful vaxxer, Kate Baker. Yeah, well, adverse events from vaccines do happen. Like anything, like any medication, you can have adverse effects. The question is, you can have adverse effects from a seatbelt if you're driving and the seatbelt cuts you in half because of the particular type of impact that you have. So it's unusual. Would you not wear your seatbelt? Would you not put your child in a car seat? Even though very rarely a car seat could injure or kill your child. Most people will say, no, I'd still put them in the car seat because statistics say that's probably gonna keep them safer than the very, very uh, unlikely chance that they'll have a reaction that's really meaningful you know, adverse, meaningful. And a lot of the reactions that people claim are due to vaccines are, are actually not. They're either temporally related, meaning, you know, somebody gets an HPV vaccine and then something happens to them, had nothing to do with the vaccine because it's very hard to show that it actually caused the thing. Uh, you know, the same thing with the autism, you know, oh, it turns out we diagnose a lot of autism around the same time and we're diagnosing it a lot better. So the question about whether there's an autism epidemic is really... It's really debatable because we're just, we're, we're diagnosing it better than we ever have. And the idea that then that's correlated to vaccines, people make the connection and they use our primitive evolutionary logic and go, well, it must've caused it because we evolved, our brains evolved to see those connections and go, I'm not gonna eat that, that's poison. I'm not gonna give my next kid an injection because the other kid became you know, um, different after the injection happened. Well doesn't mean the injection caused it. In fact, there's no evidence, none, zero, zero evidence from trials that aren't falsified or redacted because they were falsified, Andrew Wakefield. That shows that this is the case. All right, um, a lot of vaccine comments. I live in a bubble, everyone should. Liliana Cook, Liliana, you're the only person who's speaking sense today. Sue Real, what do you think about these Suboxone clinics to help people get off drugs? So medication assisted, uh, detox or drug therapy, for many people, it's the only option, okay? I rounded at the hospital today. We see patients who are on long-term medication-assisted detox or uh, uh, drug um, cessation programs. For many people, it's the only answer. Now, there's a stigma in certain circles around this because you're substituting one drug for another. 
But the thing is, it's a very different psychological construct. It's a different functional construct. So if you can function, you can go to work, you can actually do well without all the behaviors associated with addiction. Yes, you're dependent on this new drug, Suboxone or Methadone or whatever you're using, but dependency and addiction are different things. So you're not showing the behaviors of trying to, you know, drug seek or it's damaging your relationships or your job or you're getting injured or you're overdosing. Those things don't happen. So they can be life-saving approaches and we should destigmatize them, but we should also look at other ways um, other rehab programs, uh, family support. It's very complicated and hard. And people who are family members or who've suffered with addiction uh, understand that this is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, let's scroll down here and see what we got. I'm a nurse from Oklahoma. I happen to agree with you on a lot of matters you've been talking about. Juan Mendoza. Thanks, Juan. But the thing is, you know, I like it when people disagree with me, but they do it in a thoughtful, intelligent, non-ad hominem attack way. Um, It's always fun to have that conversation. Um, Lots of people on methadone here, says Kate Wallace. Many nurses treat them differently because of it. Yes. And I can't violate HIPAA uh, because... Let me just say this. People are acutely aware, you know, I'm rounding in the hospital, people are acutely aware of the stigma of methadone and they're reluctant to even tell clinicians about it because they're afraid they're going to be judged or appropriate medication is going to be withheld. And that is one of the tragedies of how we stigmatize every sort of, well, anything we, we consider in this kind of to be a disease of choice as opposed to a disease, disease. Now, the more you study the mind and you can do this using neuroscience, you can do this using meditation and introspection and actually subjectively study the working of the mind and master meditators are really good at this. You realize, the, first of all, this a concept of free will or willpower is an illusion. Uh, we have these sub-sub-minds that are unconscious that are constantly processing data and feeding it up to our conscious awareness, the elephant, if you will, feeding it up to the rider to decide what to do with it. And how it's fed up is entirely out of our control. It comes from darkness and it's fed to us and then we act on it. And in many ways, controlling those sub-minds is first recognizing they exist, surrounding yourself with smart people, education, genetics, environment, all those things contribute prior causes up to that point when your neurons fire in a certain way, you make this decision. So in many ways, addiction, obesity, these so-called diseases of choice, Uh, aren't really our choice at all, but it is, we have to hold people accountable or else these subbrains just go crazy. So society needs to be there. We need to pretend we have free will in order to actually uh, exercise restraint in many people. So understand it, but knowing the root cause and going, okay, well, maybe this is something that requires external influence to keep it, um, keep the decisions being uh, appropriate and blame and vindictiveness and punitive uh, stuff doesn't necessarily uh, make a lot of moral sense in this case. Now, eh, you can disagree with me, but you're wrong. Um, Christine Bailey, I always tell people about my two children, both of whom are autistic. One was vaccinated from birth, one was not. The one that wasn't is more autistic than her brother uh, since she's been vaccinated. Um, No, she's, sorry, she's since been vaccinated. So this is a great story and I'm glad you shared it, Christine. Um, You kind of did a little trial. It's not a very controlled trial or a very scientific trial, but you can kind of see that there is a genetic component to autism. There's a developmental component. We just don't know what it is yet. Now, if we're distracting ourselves worrying about vaccines, we're not looking for the real causes, which uh, as you all know, are uh, Illuminati and Freemason driven. Um, If you believe 
anything the anti-vaxxers and they're just very conspiracy oriented um Jenny Burns, I'm on Suboxone, the lowest milligram, and it is my lifesaver. There you go, Jenny. So for Jenny, it's worked perfectly, and she's functional. She's doing her thing, and her avatar with the little bunny ears is adorable. What more do you want, people? Um, let's see. I was not vaxxed, says Leslie Pickett, and caught everything from pertussis to measles, still autistic. Hint, just like my mom and my kids and my grandsons. Tells you a lot. Thanks for weighing in, Leslie. Um, autistic lizard men coming before the chemtrails. Brain force, Erica Christine. Nice. Well played. Um, all right. I want to talk about something other than vaccines. So hit me with some comments about stuff you're interested in. I'm going to go back here and see. Uh, I, oh, this is interesting. Kevin Stansbury. I asked one nurse if she believed in science. She said yes, but then she said she believed her instincts more. Okay. This is the thing about instincts. They are, again, this is our sub-mind serving stuff up. Our instinct is this. Ooh, disgust or hope or love or uh, hate, whatever it is. Those are our instincts. That's our elephant. It's conditioned. It's genetic. It's environmental, etc. Is it true to the world? Increasingly, we find that science contradicts our instincts on many levels, especially statistics. We don't, as humans, we haven't evolved to intuitively understand statistical danger, um, certain scientific truths like relativity. They just don't make sense because they're not how we evolved. We don't evolve at light speed, so we don't have to care about relativity. The fact that time slows down the faster you go and there's perspectival issues. We don't have to do that. So our instincts are fundamentally wrong. In many things relating to health, our instincts are also fundamentally wrong. This idea that a lot of patients say where they say, I know my body. Well, many, many cases, yes, you do. You have those internal feelings and the brain has evolved to feel sensations in a way that trigger you to do the right thing. Don't put that in your body. Stop doing what you're doing. Get up and move. Those kind of things, or, or rest. Those are reasons that the brain evolved emotional uh, uh, cognition because you can feel. Why do you think they call emotion feelings? They're physical feelings that help us avoid danger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it breaks down when you get into real subtle disease. So trusting your body and your mommy instincts about vaccines makes no sense at all, right? But knowing something is off or something is wrong means the doctor or the clinician ought to listen to you when you say that because you they're then getting a glimpse into your internal brain sort of uh, thermostat. It's trying to maintain homeostasis and you better listen to it. Doesn't mean it's always right. Doesn't mean it's relevant. But if you don't listen to it, you're never gonna know. Uh, comments, 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 comments. Where are we at? Have you ever prescribed or recommended uh, CBD, uh, sort of cannabinoids to anyone? Um, DJ Minus. I haven't prescribed it. I haven't recommended it. People tend to find it on their own. And now this stuff is legal in many states, including my own. So the jury's out on what this stuff actually does. For chronic pain, it's been really equivocal in the study so far. It hasn't really been well studied. So let's study it better. And then we can decide whether it's a medicine or a drug or both. And then people who want to use it and try it, as long as it's not interfering with their lives, there's no problem with that. Now, we did do a, a show on uh, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. So people who smoke a lot of um, cannabis on a regular basis can have this syndrome where they're vomiting all the time and they, they keep smoking cannabis trying to stop the vomiting. But it's actually the cannabis that is triggering the cyclic vomiting syndrome. 
Now, the non-cannabis version is sometimes seen in children, but in adults, it's often this. It's actually described very well in South Australia where cannabis use was very high. They described it, and it's a syndrome where people, they're vomiting, and it's actually relieved by very, very hot baths. So like showers or baths that are so scalding hot, people actually get burned. It's kind of pathognomonic for this cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. We've talked about it. There's a show that I'll repost soon about that. Um, Let's see. What do you think about Serena Williams' issue with a PE after childbirth and the physician not believing her, Sharon Gallagher? Now, I don't know Serena's story specifically, but I'll say this. We as a culture in healthcare tend to devalue women's complaints of symptoms, whether it's chest pain or whatever Serena Williams was complaining of. And in the U.S., this comes up very interestingly because in childbirth, we have an abysmal maternal mortality rate compared to the rest of the world because we focus so much on the baby because that's what women are there for, is to make the baby, that we forget about the woman. So postpartum hemorrhage, infection, PE, those kind of things, they get missed. And young moms die with no other pre-existing medical problems. We did a show on this as well. And this is inexcusable. And part of it, I think, is the chauvinist culture of of the medical establishment. We... uh, we devalue what women are saying. And I'm guilty of this because I'm conditioned. Remember, my sub-minds, my unconscious elephant is conditioned by the 70s and the 80s where, you know, uh, sort of this understanding that um, uh, the, the typical roles of women in, 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 you know, being hysterical and all these other things, that was sort of conditioned, right? And so still I have to kind of consciously overcome some of those biases when I'm thinking about my female patients. Oh, it can't be an MI because women don't have MIs. Well, that's just not true. And then they die because it's missed, right? So it's very important that we recognize our biases, look at what's going on unconsciously, recognize it and try to adjust for it. And slowly you can recondition yourself out of it. And that's part of the role of meditation too. Like hardcore meditation is reconditioning the unconscious man so that we don't behave reactively, but rather recognize what's arising as what it is, which is a thought, a feeling, an emotion. Instead of just reacting in our shitty first draft, taking some space and going, oh, what's going to be the reaction that's going to generate the least suffering for myself and others and be the most compassionate way to behave? And it takes years of practice uh, to do that. Uh, but you can you can start now, guys. Everybody can. Sorry, people are asking what PE is. PE is pulmonary embolism. It's a blood clot that breaks off from somewhere in your venous system and goes to your lung and blocks off uh, vessels. Now, what's interesting is a lot of people think that... Um, it's blocking off blood flow and that's why you die. Like you just can't squeeze blood through the lungs. Now, sometimes that happens with massive PEs. The right side of the heart that's trying to squeeze blood through the lungs is unable to to get it because you, you have a saddle embolus where the, 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 the clot is like straddling both vessels into the lung and it's just the heart just can't make it. Well, that that's one way to die of a PE. But other ways where PE can cause trouble are you get down into the smaller vessels and it really isn't blocking blood flow to a big part of the lung, but something happens called VQ mismatch where you're, you know, you're, you're getting air through the lung, but you're not perfusing the lung and that causes trouble. You get inflammation and cytokines get released. You get uh, inflammation of the lining around the lungs and it can lead to a cascade that can cause big trouble, including super infection, other things like that, which is more unusual. But there's lots of ways that are less intuitive that blood clots can kill you by going to the lungs or at least cause a lot of trouble. Uh, again, and I'm just telling you I rounded today, uh, so I'm not violating HIPAA. Uh, <laughs> so, um, 
Can you explain dilated heart failure and the pathophys behind it rather than traditional uh, left ventricular hypertrophy? Alex Donahue. Wow, Alex, you're asking a lot of me right now. So let's make this as simple as possible, and I'm going to do a very bad service to this lecture because I haven't prepped it, but this is how I think about these things. There are two different major types of heart failure, and heart failure is simply the heart is unable to... to, to um, do what it's supposed to do, which is pump blood to the brain and to the lungs and to itself through the coronary arteries. So you, the heart can fail either because it doesn't, it doesn't fill properly. So you're getting blood into the atrium and then it, it fills the heart and then you squeeze it out to the body. So the, the heart can get so thick that it's stiff and it doesn't have the compliance like a balloon. It's like a stiff balloon. So blood comes in and it's hitting this sort of wall and it doesn't stretch enough and you can't squeeze and that's one problem. And sometimes your heart can get so thick, that's hypertrophy or thickening of the muscle, that it actually causes an obstruction of the outflow part of the heart. And that's a particular type of uh, left ventricular hypertrophy with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. That can cause problems, especially if you have a, if you're bearing down, like they call it a Valsalva maneuver, you're just, you can get lightheaded and that kind of thing, or worse, pass out. Um, and left ventricular hypertrophy is often seen in people with high blood pressure because the heart is constantly working against all this pressure and it gets thick. And when it gets thick, it starts to get dysfunctional. So that's called um, diastolic dis heart dysfunction or the filling uh, cycle of the heart is dysfunctional. That's one type of heart failure. Now that can progress to what we call the, the, the uh, systolic dysfunction that can then progress to dilated cardiomyopathy. And there are many causes of dilated cardiomyopathy, not just uh, left ventricular hypertrophy. So then what happens is the heart muscle actually gets thin and it stretches so much and it's so flabby that it doesn't have enough leverage to squeeze blood out. And it, the technical term for that is you've fallen off the Starling curve, the Frank Starling curve, where there's an optimal stretch to the heart that allows it to get enough squeeze. It's kind of like this. If you're, let me see the best way to illustrate this. If you're like this and your muscles are here and you can just squeeze really good because you have good leverage on something, that's a normal heart, right? A really uh, thickened left ventricular um, sort of um, a hypertrophy heart is it the muscles are so thick you can barely move and you can't relax enough to let blood come in so you can squeeze. Now dilated cardiomyopathy is where your heart is so flabby and weak from damage, multiple things can cause it, we won't get into it, that the heart gets big. And at this point you're in a part where your muscles don't have good leverage. Like I can't get a good squeeze on this anymore because I'm stretched out my muscles, they can't really contract properly, they're at a bad angle. And that then leads to what they call systolic dysfunction, which means during systole that when the heart's contracting, it's not squeezing out enough blood. And you can measure that through things called ejection fraction, using an echocardiogram and other stuff like that. So that may be another lecture another day, but thanks for asking. It made me think about it for the first time in a long time because I just act reflexively a lot of times when it comes to heart failure. Um, Liz, Liza Rhodes says, I'm sitting here watching this medical video with my kids and they're like, mom, what are you watching that? And I said, he's really smart and you guys would love his music and Vader videos. Needless to say, they're hearing serious Z-Dog, so it's pretty hard to sell the comedy, Liza. So Liza, you tell them this, there is nothing funnier than diastolic heart failure. I mean, it just makes me go. Anyways, uh, other comments. Cardiology ma in the house, Gen or MA in the house. I was like, ma, who's this ma? Medical assistant? Jenny Tyrer, Tyrer, 
welcome. Um, if you're more than 100 pounds, please don't pass out between the toilet and the wall. <laughs> Andrew Wilson. Andrew's dealt with this before. It's pretty clear. Um, let's see. Health and Human Services. Uh, this is a Trump question. I haven't heard about this, Stacey, yet. Um, I really want to hear your opinions on IVC filters. Mine was put in as a precaution before surgery and now is migrated out of place and can't be retrieved. Audrey Gablens. This is a very specific medical question that I think we should talk about another time. An intravenous uh, 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 IVC, uh, uh, inferior vena cava catheter, is a kind of, it's like an umbrella that you stick in the inferior vena cava, which brings blood from the lower extremity back to the heart. We were talking about blood clots earlier. This little umbrella thing can catch blood clots before they get from your legs where they're most commonly uh, found to the lungs where they can kill you in, in terms of pulmonary embolism. And these little, cat, these little um, devices that are usually put in by interventional radiology, sometimes done by vascular uh, surgery, can prevent the, the, the clot from getting to the lungs. Now, can you think about problems here already? So what if it fills with clot? Well, then your lower extremities get really puffy and, and filled with edema and swelling because you're not able to drain blood properly. Uh, what if they migrate, like in the case of this? Well, then they're hard to take out. Now, there are some people who have them in permanently. Um, preferably, you're on blood thinners, unless you couldn't tolerate them, and that was the reason you got the filter, because often they'll put the filter in if you fail blood thinners, you're bleeding, or you fail them and you have a uh, clot th despite being on blood thinners and being therapeutic on Coumadin or one of these other newer drugs. So uh, it becomes then a, a difficult situation, but it's not the end of the world. Talk to your doctor, and because uh, I can't give medical advice here, or else I go to jail again. And uh, I don't want to be a catcher in jail again. I'm kidding. Or am I? Uh, how do you feel about surgeries for stress incontinence in women? Do they work and are they safe? Like mesh and such. Bonnie Thomas. So this one I really want to defer to a urologist. Uh, some uh, urologists that do this procedure for incontinence, they swear by it. Others, not so much. So I would defer to a specialist on this. I, I'm not intelligent enough in that space to be able to say something without damaging people's understanding of the utility of that surgery because I wouldn't be right. In other words, I don't know. Um, why is PO potassium more effective than IV potassium? Mike McLaughlin. I'm not sure it necessarily is and you have to define effective. So IV is great for quickly raising uh, potassium, but it again, it's kind of a short-acting answer, whereas the oral potassium is absorbed more slowly and more physiologically. Oral potassium can upset the stomach. IV potassium can burn your veins. So both of them have downsides. Also, if you overdo it too quick on IV potassium, you can kill someone, uh, which is why you have to be real careful with IV. So it really depends on the context and the situation that you're using it for. I like to replace potassium orally if people's stomach can tolerate it, if they're awake, if they're not an aspiration risk. Um, because it's more physiologic. Uh, and in the hospital in particular, a lot of times our electrolytes like potassium get very deranged because of all the things we're doing to people. We have them on IV fluids, they're not walking, all this other stuff is happening. And uh, so we do need to keep an eye on it. Out in the world, it's less important unless you're on drugs like thiazide, drugs like hydrochlorothiazide, Lasix, um, lisinopril, those kind of things that can derange potassium. Lisinopril can raise your potassium uh, and the other drugs can lower it. Um, all right, what do we got? How do you feel about calcium score testing, uh, Janice McLeod Paulson? Janice, I would refer you, go to my website, zdogmd.com, and search for the video we did on calcium score. So I actually got a CT chest calcium score uh, at a local radiology group and got my answer and talked a bit about 
the utility and lack of utility of that particular test. So definitely check out that video. By the way, people often ask me, how do I find your videos? There's so many videos, Facebook can't be searched. You're right, Facebook sucks for that. Go to our website, zdogmd.com, we're in the process of revamping the website, but there's a search bar on there in the video section. And you can search by tag, you can search by category, you can search by comment, calcium, whatever you want, and you'll find what you want most of the time. Because when I search there, I always find what I'm looking for. So it's there. Because often people will message me and be like, have you ever done a video on this? And I'm like, have you ever done a Google search? Because that's where all my videos... Also, Google will help you find it, um, too. Um, let's see. My sister's kidneys failed after three banana bags because the nurses didn't keep track of who did what. Jackie Collins. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh... I'm not sure it was the banana bags per se, because there are a lot of other things, like why was she getting a banana bag um, that can cause, because potassium itself doesn't necessarily cause kidneys, kidneys to fail, but in kidney failure, you can uh, have an elevated potassium, sometimes a low potassium, depending if you have a tubular acidosis or something like that. So uh, I'm getting into esoterica. Uh, are you going to nurses take DC in April? Safe staffing ratios. What's your opinion on fixing this? Jesse Tucker. Jesse, they ask me every year and every year I'm like, I have a lot of obligations between work, our show and home. So I can't come out there uh, for the rally, but I always talk about it every year. And, and I think the idea that we need to make sure that our nurses are safely staffed, that all of us are safely staffed in healthcare in order to improve actual outcomes um, is, is something fundamental. And I've done videos on this, so I would refer you to the search bar uh, to search for my thoughts on safe staffing. In fact, I did a video exactly on this. So definitely check that out. Um, sing please, says Rachel Kuda. Uh, I'm not sure you want that, Rachel. What do you want me to sing? Someone tell me what you want me to sing and I'll, I'll do my worst. Uh, ketogenic diet, pros and cons, Melissa Bruce. I've talked about this before too, but uh, I was on a ketogenic diet for uh, eight months and it's great. You lose weight. Um, I enjoyed it because I love fat. I love eating fat uh, and a little bit of protein. Physiologically, it's very dependent on the person and their genetics and how they handle fat. So I didn't handle saturated fat very well. My uh, LDL cholesterol and particle count went through the roof. Now I did a show on this with Dave, um, Dave Feldman about what this may actually mean, and you guys should definitely check that out, Feldman, uh, on ketone diets and is everything we know about cholesterol wrong. So stay stay tuned. Sing the Pharma song, Ashley Fields. Oh, okay, hold on. I might be able to help you with that, Ashley. Let me see if I have the backing track for that Pharma. Oh, which one, the Pharma one? Oh, yeah, you got it. Good choice. I thought you were talking about the, uh, the, uh, I'm just a pharmacist rap, which is less of a song. Let me see if I have something for you ass. Uh, Z-Dog, backing tracks. Uh, is this it? Where is it? You'll be back. All right, let's see some other comments. You say the price of my drugs, not a price that you're willing to pay. You cry when Timmy's just been stung by a bee, but your EpiPen's dry. Why so sad? Remember we made an arrangement with your FDA, now you're making me mad. Remember until those generics, I'm your man. You'll be back 
soon you'll see You'll need meds for that ADHD You'll be back, time will tell You'll be jacked without the pills we sell BPs rise, erections fall We have medications for it all And when push comes to shove I will advertise direct to consumer to remind you of my drugs. Ba 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 pharma yeah ba 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 pharma yeah. Um, you know what's funny about that is I posted that the other day, and like these crazy anti-vaxxers were like, "Oh, do you see how he's making fun of people who are against pharma? It's like a parody of a parody. He's a horrible." bald, sickly man with dark circles under his eyes, and I would never not listen to my mommy instincts when he tells me to vaccinate because he's a sick man. And I'm like, pharma, yeah, pharma, yeah. All right, dudes, I'm going to test one thing real quick because Facebook's still having trouble serving ads. So tell me if you see an ad right now. Check it out. I got an ad. See that ad? Look, it's still playing because it's a little delayed. So did you guys get an ad? Because, oh my God, look at that. Uh, quick comments. Uh, I bet your family is like, he's there singing on the phone again. Alyssa <laughs> O'Brien, it's exactly, they're outside. We, we ordered some DoorDash Indian food, so I'm waiting for it to come. So I figured I'd do my show while I'm waiting for the dinner to come and feed my family and uh, take off this dad sweater and dad shirt and be like, uh, you know, you say. Uh, now, see, people didn't get an ad. I don't get it. I don't understand why I would get an ad and they wouldn't. Oh, well, what can you do? Um, guys, I love you. I really do. You guys, the, the fans of this show, the audience, the tribe that, that's come here, it really is a special thing. Like, some people complain that we're mean to people and that kind of thing. You know what? Fine. If we're, if, we're, if we're mean in the service of a higher purpose, so be it. But I think you guys actually care deeply about your fellow humans. You come here because you care. And that means a lot to me. It means that we found our tribe and we're going to grow it and we're going to take over the damn world and we're going to bring light where there's darkness and dark where there's lightness. That made no sense. I love you guys. Thanks for your comments. We out. Hit share, hit like. Bye, 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 bye. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up.
So, and that, that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.